Jewish Latin Princess, episode 84, Hani Applebaum, author of Millennial Kosher. You're listening to Jewish Latin Princess podcast by Yael. Every week, get your dose of inspiration from the world's most uniquely talented Jewish women and from Yael herself. Seeking profound and practical ways to live a joyful, richer Jewish life? Welcome to Jewish Latin Princess podcast. And now, Jewish lifestyle expert and bilingual blogger at jewishlatinprincess.com, your host, Yael. She had no interest in the kitchen. In fact, her job as a child was just to make the salad for Shabbat, a job she didn't take to very well. She ended up putting a half a cup of salt instead of sugar in the salad dressing, <laughs> a story her family still jokingly talks about till today. And the joke's on her because now she's busier than ever in the kitchen and promoting her new cookbook, Millennial Kosher. You're listening to Jewish Latin Princess. I'm Yael Trush, your host. Welcome to the show. You heard that right. I have the sweet Hani Applebaum, creator of Busy in Brooklyn and author of Millennial Kosher. Why does a salad dressing require half a cup of sugar anyway? Yep, Hani wondered the same thing, and in part, a desire to give her traditional sweet Ashkenazi foods a revamp took her to unleash her creativity in the kitchen. She's a millennial, and as such, she's not taking the status quo as a given, even in her cooking, mixing international flavors and textures, all to bring something extraordinary and unconventional to our tables. Hani talks to us about the journey that got her to this point, the unexpected side benefit of becoming a public figure in the kosher culinary world, and hey... How does she manage her public and busy life when her priority is her family? Something many of us can relate to. Her role model, an unexpected side to Khani, which explains many things about her grit and the way she approaches her booming career. Join me in wrapping up 2019 with a fun and lovely Khani Applebaum. Applebaum, welcome to Jewish Latin Princess. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Where am I catching you? In Brooklyn, where you're super busy? (laughs) Always busy in Brooklyn. Um, I'm actually on book tour right now, so I am usually in different cities, but right now I'm at home and very glad. I'm sure the traveling can get to you. And we're going to get to all that because you just published your new book, which has amazing reviews, Millennial Kosher, and I want to hear all about it. But before we get to this new stage as a published author and being on book tour and all these exciting things. Give us a little bit of the backstory. Take us back in time. How did Khani get into the kitchen? I mean, was being a food writer and photographer like in, you know, something that we you planned? How did this all come about? Um, no, I, I always say like, what makes my journey so authentic and real is that it was just so out of the ordinary growing up I really was never interested in the kitchen in helping my mom with dinner my my older sister always used to help out and I was like I'll do anything else I'll set the table I'll wash the dishes don't make me cook wait are you serious Um, yeah for real oh my gosh okay so there's hope for the rest of us yeah (laughs) go on and the big joke in my family is the one job my mom had to do was every uh, Shabbat lunch I would wear the salad dressing and um, the salad dressing one week I put like half 
half a cup of salt instead of sugar. Oh my God. And, and everybody spitting out the dressing at the table. So it's the big joke. That's what I do. Um, so yeah, I was really never sit in it. Didn't have an interest. And obviously when I got married, I, I had no choice. I had to feed my husband. <laughs> and um, so I just, you know, would call my mom like every Arab Shabbat. Be like, you know, give me some recipes. What should I make? And I was cooking a lot of traditional Ashkenaz food that I grew up eating. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I started hosting, you know, friends for Shabbat lunch. And I, I, I started to enjoy like hosting and plating the food and setting my table. And all my friends started calling me and asking me for my recipes. And I was like, mm. why are you asking me? I'm not even, I don't even know how to cook. So what it really um, opened my eyes to the whole idea that with our eyes first um, and that really food is a form of art because I, I, I'm not an artist, but I go to for web design and I was always scrapbooking and composition and making things look beautiful. And You're a visual person. Nice. Right. So mm. that's kind of how I started getting to it. Um, and I realized, you know, this is a form of creative expression and a way that I could, you know, just express myself. So um, I started like following some blogs and this was in the early, early days. There weren't many blogs. There were definitely no kosher blogs. And Mitten Kitchen was one of the first blogs out there. I remember you follow and look at her photos. Um, started like watching the Food Network before it was all about competitions and games. <laughs> it was actually something to watch back then. And um, reading magazines. So I started like, you know, looking at food as more. It started with that um, presentation and then I started looking at food more as you know at the technical aspects of food and how I could get into like you know cooking a little bit differently than uh, the food I'd been eating and it just kind of from that evolved the time I started photos on Facebook and I got a lot of likes and then I started you know enjoying it a little bit more um, and obviously the then, stuff must have tasted good it didn't just look good but it worked for your family and friends right I mean the recipes were working more or less I, I, <laughs> say I definitely had my share of failures um, one that I'm just remembering was when I tried to make candy apples for Purim and to give out. It was a disaster. It was like <laughs> burnt caramel everywhere. Um, but, but you didn't give up. I didn't give up and I definitely found an enjoyment in it. And, uh, you know, regular life, uh, I was working and um, I mentioned I, I went to school for web design. So I was um, I was working outside the home. I After I had my third child, I really felt like I, I wanted to be home with my kids, but I just still needed an outlet. And every week we would sit around the table and I would be like, what can I do? You know, I need an idea. And then my husband was like, why don't you just start a blog? And this was like, really, like I said, in the, in the early, early days, days of blogging. Right. And um, because I had already started posting things on Facebook and things like that. So I was like, you know what? Fine, I'll do it. So um, I, I my first post was like, hello, world. And <laughs> I, um, yeah, I remember those days. <laughs> yes. And I, and I made a recipe that wasn't even mine. It was an adaptation of uh, one of Jamie Geller's recipes mm-hmm. in her book, um, The Bride Who Knew Nothing, which pretty much what I was, right? Um, and basically what started happening is like I started getting so much feedback from people and people would comment and then I was like wow like it's interesting people are interested in this and I'm helping um, people I'm helping other yeah. brides like myself <laughs> uh, um, so I also would like post if craft I, I was crocheting so I would craft and I would also like talk about you know being a uh, life as 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 a young mother and juggling it all is like that so that's really how it started and uh, I'm going on my eighth year eighth blog anniversary call it coming up that's um, amazing yeah coming up next month so and, what time um, do you at what time did you decide that you're really zooming in just into the food and kind of moving away from all other areas of your life? And maybe that went hand in hand with thinking of this as a business. Um, 
I really think it wasn't like a conscious decision. It kind of just evolved. Mm -hmm. I just started to find like that's what I was enjoying more. And then crocheting, like food, you oh, you always have to have food, right? We have Shabbos every week. We have the holiday. We have, we're Jewish. We're just right. always eating, right? Yes. So it's, that was a necessity. Something like crocheting, which was like a hobby, like that just kind of fell through cracks. Like up here, um, as you know, as my I kept my up my blog, I had another children along the way. So life just got busy, but I always had to cook anyway. So, mm -hmm. and I really started finding like an enjoyment in that. So that that kind of evolved really just a, um, a blog centered around recipes and food. Mm -hmm. um, and then somewhere along the way, I was like really unhappy with my photography. Because if, if you do want to have a successful blog, having beautiful pictures is so important. Right. So I was like, I mean, like I mentioned before, this whole layout, you know, the whole idea of composition and all that stuff. I was very visual. So I kind of had an idea of what I wanted, but I didn't know how to execute it because I'm, I'm not a technical person. So um, I took a photography class and had to take my camera out of automatic mode and yeah, learn about uh -huh. the different cameras. And it's, you know, from there, I just practice and practice. And I bought some ebooks from other bloggers who spoke about food photography and lots right. of videos and lots of practice and uh just got better with time um, and uh, the same with mm -hmm. well, yeah, yeah yeah tell me yeah, and, and the same with the food like you know in the beginning obviously didn't know how to cook very well but over time just became more confident in the kitchen learned how to make substitutions and then learned how to kind of uh make up my own recipes and then um for my 30th birthday my husband actually surprised me with a course at the center for kosher culinary art um, yeah which has, has since closed but it was like a three-month program a half a day it was like perfect for me I would okay um, but, but talk to me about that do yeah. you actually enjoy cooking that much like does that gift meaningful because if my husband shows up with that gift for me I'd be like uh honey <laughs> is there a refund for that uh, I'm, 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 I'm in and out like that's my cooking experience I want to be there right. as little as possible <laughs> in the kitchen no well, I mean when he bought it for me I was definitely at a point where I had kind of food a lot uh -huh. and I was kind of ready to take it to the, the next, next level, level. Mm -hmm. so um yeah amazing and also you know having um having a bunch of kids at home get giving me that freedom to like because I had been working at home and like being able to leave the house every day and go you know stimulate my mind which I hadn't done in a long time right of young kids so yeah and I the creativity I'm sure you learned I mean wow look sounds amazing well, <laughs> I think the creativity is that's that's something that people have or they don't have mm -hmm. that you can't learn in school mm -hmm. you learn more of like technical skills like how to build mm -hmm. the sauce and how to you know how to chop proper the knife and mm -hmm. um yeah it's like that I definitely picked up a lot definitely find my skills in the kitchen mm -hmm. um and just gave me i think the confidence to just start playing around more using um newer d different ingredients that i'd never played around with before i think that was the biggest thing because i went in i going in i told myself i'm gonna try everything like I, I was never like a picky eater but were definitely things that i didn't like mm -hmm. and going in with the with that mindset like i'm not gonna say no i'm try everything really helped me open my palate to new flavors and like i never liked fresh ginger before but we made like an amazing asian sauce with like julienne ginger inside and i was like wow that is amazing so mm. then I started loving ginger so different ingredients that I I had never you know been willing to try before I definitely able to add to my you know to my repertoire, repertoire. and and yeah and start using it so I'm, I'm I think with for you. me that was the biggest benefit yeah I'm with you I'm not a fresh ginger person so maybe I have to try your your sauce <laughs> yeah <laughs> so, so and I'm, now my kids love it and I really think, like you know whatever the whoever is the cook in the house their preferences they give on to their kids because like my my mother-in-law is like alert to mushrooms 
so she never cooked with mushrooms growing up. My husband always thought mushrooms were gross. Mm. And um, it took years to get him to mushrooms, and now he loves them. So it's like, this is what we pass on to our children. If we're picky and then we don't cook with those ingredients, they're going to grow up not having any experience, you know? Right, 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 so. right. So then the idea of this fabulous book um, is born. I'm, I'm assuming before the book, you st- you started making some income from Busy in Brooklyn, right? Um, Yeah, for okay. sure. Okay. Um, I think, you know, the blogging evolved um, and people started to look at bloggers and social media influencers as having a lot of, um, having a lot of influential, you know, power in the industry. Like right. people respect your opinion. People, um, you know, if you endorse a product, people will Pe- want to buy it. Yeah, people so, are much more likely to buy a product that we would endorse than just a marketing campaign. Right. right and the, right. the industry started taking note of that. And so you were there. Right. So that was happening a lot, obviously, non-sure blog tree. And then um, the kosher blogging tree is not you. There's, you know, and, and this is something I actually struggled with a lot when I started my blog. Did I call myself kosher? Then I'm going to be like in a very small niche market. Mm-hmm. Or should I not? Should I just be someone who happens to be kosher, but has, you know, great rest? So um, I finally, you know, I decided at the end of the day that I wanted to be true to myself and be authentic. And that's who I am and be proud of the kosher thing, which was uh, a very good choice. Yes, um, indeed. Yeah. But so, so you know, the kosher blogging world isn't that large. Um, and I that, you know, for bloggers that have been around for years, definitely um, companies are starting to recognize that it's it just it's, it's very beneficial to them to work with um, with bloggers and um, get their products out. So I'm definitely very um, not picky about food anymore, but picky about companies and brands I used to work with because I'll really only promote something that I truly believe in and right. that I like. Um, and so, yeah, so right. I definitely did a lot of brand partnerships. I started to cook traveling cooking demos, um, classes, doing classes and things like that. So so then millennial um, coach comes to you get this idea that you want to put a book out there in the world. So what was the need in the kosher cuisine market that you identified and tried to address? And you've been very successful at it through this new cook. So I mean, because, you know, I'm, I'm always like challenge self. And, mm-hmm. and, and I was at a point where I was, you know, it, I was blogging for, you know, quite a number of years, doing partnerships with brands, different things like that, creating recipes. And I just wanted that next challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always, I mean, obviously growing up, I didn't just in food, but I always kind of like idolized cookbook authors and I just thought you know what they did was amazing and um, I had my you know my few cookbooks that I really followed religiously and um, you know when, when I got to the point where I was um, you know writing doing food writing and writing successfully I started to realize that maybe that was my next step and also a lot of my followers were asking, mm. and um, also a lot of friends in the in the, col- the kosher culinary world who have who had written cookbooks were supporting me and telling me do it do it you can do it because I had a lot of fears I realized that I kept telling myself I'm busy with my kids my life how am I gonna happen but it was, yep. it was really just fear it was really just me like afraid of the unknown just it would seem so big and how am I gonna do it you know um and, and then I just realized I just have to jump in and do it and um the the, the niche I I feel like is that a lot of the kosher cookbooks that we, that we see a lot of the same recipe in different ways like everyone has their own way of making chicken spin everyone has their <laughs> own recipe for gefilte fish right but I really didn't want any traditional recipes in my book whatsoever I wanted to put new spin on this. Like, I feel like tradition is very important the way we carry on um, memory and taste of home to our children. And I do believe in tradition. But I, but I also feel like cooking the same for generations and cook, serving the same foods at our holiday tables and 
it's like time for something fresh and new mm-hmm. and also wanted to address like a little bit of the new science of a health- healthier alternatives in the kosher kitchen like coconut oil instead of margarine and um, you know pertini mushroom powder instead of onion soup mix oh gosh yes uh, so <laughs> like, very sweet dressings <laughs> yes that was something very important like I meant earlier the story of putting half a cup of salt instead of sugar in the, in the dressing right well the joke in that story is why are we putting half a cup of sugar to begin with in our salad dressing? that's exactly what I thought when you were saying I know story. And, and it took me time to, because I grew up with that very very Ashkenazi palate and I, it took me time really to appreciate the savory side of food but now I definitely prefer savory over sweet mm-hmm. and um, it's something that I just started the amount of sugar I used slowly and slowly and now it's like I cannot swallow sweet dress it just there's no place for it so all my salad dressing in my book have either no sweetener or maybe a tablespoon of honey or something to balance out the acid but I don't have anything like sweet like that and oh, I don't think it belongs book, this book sounds right for me perfect yeah. for me I don't have a sweet palate so I'm like <laughs> right but even like so I in my book I put like a save chapter savory snack chapter mm-hmm. um, I also put some like health desserts like I did like a, a riff on peanut chews where I make them with date instead of like a traditional caramel um, and different healthy options like that and I also incorporated a meatless meal chapter because um, instituted meatless Mondays in my house my husband is a vegan during the week on chops really? chicken or whatever yeah mm-hmm. he lost 100 pounds the past, what uh, three years yes and he's kept them off he's kept them off he did it in a very healthy natural way um, and he when he hit a plateau about pounds in decided he was going to go vegan just to you know to help move things along and he just felt so vibrant and healthy and amazing really and yeah so was it challenging for you honey too because I feel like cooking uh, vegan is like it requires a lot more prep work and a lot more creativity but I guess you are creative so well I'll, first of all we don't always cook vegan and my husband's taps like have like whatever side the side we have he doesn't and once in a while he will it's not like a moral for him so like he doesn't like once in a while he'll have a chicken and on mm-hmm. Chavez he'll have um, but um, but we, we cook with a lot of beans like love beans so really? like the, my daughter's favorite recipe in my book is is my refried bean tacos like that's what she asked for her birthday dinner Yum. <laughs> so I love beans but my family cannot take it so oh, yeah, that okay. went by beans okay <laughs> so my husband really grew up a lot of beans. Oh, I didn't but I your got husband's beans. Latin right his, uh, no his, his mother's South American yeah 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 yeah, yeah 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 okay uh huh so um, so yeah so we started this meatless um, uh, Mondays in the house and my kids really loved it because I was always testing different recipes and fun things the one thing that didn't fly here tofu mm. um, I never liked it and uh, I never one, have one, yeah but what, one one funny story when I was testing rest for the book I, I wanted to incorporate some tofu with tofu in the meatless meal chapter so I made these like schnitzel sub where I cut the tofu cubes and I breaded it and fried it with like shawarma spice and panko crumbs and I made these like schnitzel sandwiches with it and because I was like the way with tofu is if it's fried you know so um, <laughs> I served it to my kids and my, my four year old siblings was like why did mommy put marshmallows in the in the schnitzel. <laughs> so I That's like, very cute. That's it. I'm not being in the book, so it didn't make it in the book. Um, but I do have a tempeh recipe. I have to really love tempeh because it, it has like pieces of soybeans in there and it has a, a texture to it. Like I need texture in my food. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so that was definitely something different that you haven't been in coach cookbooks before. Right. Um, having, you know, a, a, some, a, a, a chapter that's dedicated to vegetarian food. And you also incorporate a lot of international cuisines and flavors, right? Yes, yes. That was like part of, you know, uh, I said, I'm, I'm Ashkenazi. And then I married into um, a Sephardic family. My mm-hmm. mother was Syrian. She taught me about all the different spices that I never used or tasted in my life. Right. And I really love them. 
important to me. So I always say, like, for um, Ashkenazim, our stating that paprika and garlic powder. <laughs> and for Syrians, it's allspice and cinnamon, you know? Oh, yeah. um, so really, what I love is kind of bridge the gap and get, like, Ashkenazim to, like, try Syrian food, Syrians to try Ashkenazi food, things like that. Um, and I, I, I don't know if that last one is going to work. Syrians try Ashkenazi food. <laughs> you know what? I So uh, Morocco, a lot of Sephardic yeah. really hate um, gefilte fish. Yeah. They, they cannot stand it. So I did this. I make I Sephardic did, gefilte fish because I can't stand, I'm Sephardic, so I can't stand gefilte fish. So. <laughs> right. So you make, so you I, make like, what do you make? It has like spices and cilantro and tomato sauce. And it's like right. a whole. So that's yeah. what I did. I made like these fish cakes in my book with gefilte fish, but I put turmeric and cumin. Cumin, and, yeah. And, yeah. And parsley and garlic in there. And then, <coughs> and then the sauce, you know, with chickpeas in it and all that. So like creme yes. with gefilte fish. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, I got, a, I have a lot of uh, Sephardic eating. And Amazing. Like it. Amazing. So, and then I, I have the Ashkenazim making my lachmajin flatbread. Oh, um, delicious. Which they love. So, yeah, so I, I think it's just so fun, you know, mix things up like that, have fun with food. And that's also like a big part of my food philosophy. I feel they just take it too seriously, you know? And then they're like, mm-hmm. especially new brides, they're like, scared to get in the kitchen. And I'm like, it's just food. What what could happen? If it comes out bad, you'll just make some scrambled eggs, you know? Like, <laughs> if you don't if you don't have fun with it, then it's going to see it as a chore. And I feel like food is a means of a creative experience expression and it's a, a way for you to to express yourself have fun and if you don't if you're not so intimidated by it then really there's something that you can enjoy even for people that don't love to cook so i really tried to like bring a little bit of whimsy into the kitchen and and, mm-hmm. and get people to enjoy it more yeah 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 and what about this great name millennial kosher was that your idea your husband's idea <laughs> that was my idea um we went i went through a lot of it was very very hard to come up with one um it just came to me and i'm, I'm very thankful for it because I feel like it it just really um so what's in the book and my style and um you know reinventing reinventing traditional foods bringing the food bringing kosher food into the millennia you know all the different things that we spoke about so nice 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 so take us to those I think it I read in your blog that it took you about 15 months to really I I guess give birth to this wonderful book because it's 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 a huge process um take us to those 15 months I'm sure they weren't stress-free I'm sure it wasn't just uh, sitting around eating bonbons and, and trying recipes. Um, yeah. Give us the inside scoop of how, how, how life went those 15 months. <laughs> So I think the 15 months was basically um, already was basically just shooting the book, right? You know, writing and editing the rest, finishing everything like that. It actually was a lot longer than that because there's a whole period of testing all the recipes and coming up with them and all that. Um, it is extremely, extremely, extremely stressful. Um, more work than I ever could have imagined in my life. I spent um, two years ago, the whole summer, basically in the kitchen testing recipes. Whoa. What and about the kids? <laughs> what it about was, the, the children? Kids lo- <laughs> the kids loved it. They literally had like six dinners every night. Well, do like this what do you like oh, about this you know nice. it was great and then i also go um, i'm in a, a colony upstate so because i was with lots of other people i would ask feedback from my neighbors and their kids oh that's so, great yeah that was really great i, I knew if a recipe worked right away or for king <laughs> so um so that was that i had about two months testing you know six recipes i had like lists about six to eight recipes a day that i would test um a lot of dishes after putting my kid that at night it, it was it was 
difficult. It was a hard summer. And um, then last year, I started um, basically collecting prop, like shopping for prop. Oh, you did all together. the styling yourself. I did the styling and the photography. <gasps> wow, honey, that's a big endeavor. It is. And, and I really wanted it to be on because I felt like I hear you. I, mm. I can do it. I have it in me. I know it's going to be really, really, really hard. But knowing that, like, I look at my book and all me. Like, right. I didn't have a photographer and I did it. And I, you know, it just, it, I feel like it's really special. And um, that definitely made the whole a lot more difficult. But, um, but yeah, I'm definitely very proud that I was able to do that. And um, yeah, so I hired an assistant and I we shot in six weeks. We shot the book um, about six rest a day or so. <coughs> wow. I would give my assistant a printed recipe. She would cook it and I would like tell her, you follow it. So if anything's unclear, I know how to clarify it. It's like another round of test for me. Very interesting. Did you have a baby at home at this point or you had your, all your kids in school at this no, point? No, all my kids. Yeah, all my kids were in school. I mean, I, I did send my daughter younger than any of my others went because I usually send my kids at 18 months and she went in a year. Mm-hmm. Um, but I knew that I couldn't do it if I if I had her at home. It, just, it wouldn't be possible. But it was still like my I did shoot all my, my book in the winter. So it got dark really early, but it was like perfect time. You can't shoot once dark. And right. that was pretty much when I had to start picking my kids up for school. So um, I had someone, you know, helping wash all the dishes. There were a lot of dishes every day um, with the shooting. And then my kids would come home and there were tons of, um, which was really exciting for them. And now it's like so boring. It's one dinner. Oh, then- no, never. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> so actually, that's the perfect segue to my next question, which is the reality of this juggling act, because your journey started with your blog, Busy in Brooklyn, while you were at home back then, three kids, Kanainahara, your family has grown, and you're probably busier than ever. Right. Uh, um, and now with the book out and marketing the book and everything that it's brought for you. So talk to us a little bit about the behind the scenes and the juggling act, as many of my listeners are mothers. And you know, it's it's a real thing. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, so I always say like, you know, naming my blog Busy in Brooklyn was almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy because I don't think I even knew what busy meant back then. Um, <laughs> I thought I was busy, but I, I put a whole uh, new meaning to the word busy these days. Um, so yeah, it definitely juggling act. I think for me, the biggest thing was learning, realizing that you just can't do it all. You can't. Mm-hmm. And you just, you have to delegate. You have to be willing to to, to take help, to accept help. That was the biggest thing. I was always the type of person that I need to be on top of everything, like even like laundry. My husband's like, why don't you just have, you know, our, our cleaning help do the laundry? But I was like, no, I need to do the laundry. But like when I finally gave up in the laundry, I realized, oh my God, that freed up so much of my time. You right, know? right. So small thing um, and big things, but you know, I'm not, by nature, I'm not a delegator. It was very hard for me to be able to do that, but there's literally just no other way because I can't, I can't do it all, you know? Right. And uh, um, uh, over the past few years, writing my book and busy with the book, I definitely had to give up some volunteer things that I, I, I enjoyed doing before, which I just don't have the time for, unfortunately. Um, but I also realized there's other ways, you know, if you can make a donation to an organization that you used to volunteer your time for, that's also okay, you know? Yes. Um, so yeah, it definitely is a juggling act. I think it's doable. That's the thing for me was always like, how am I ever going to write a book with my kids and life and busy? But I see that I was totally able to do it and um, even be there, like picking up my kids from school every day through photographing my book and writing my book and doing everything. Um, it, it, you you need help. You definitely need help, but but it make things work if you really if if you have a dream, it happens. But also, what I'm hearing from you, honey, is that we can out. There's certain things that we can outsource, and there's a point in our life where we should try to outsource them if if we have a certain objective. And then there's certain things that are should be our priorities, and we won't outsource. Like you said, I want to be there for my kids carpool right. time. I want to make sure that they're home, and I'm for them. Not I'm not still working. Right. So that's always something like you know. I, 
I always try to remind myself, I started my blog as a hobby. I didn't start it as a business. And why did I start it as a hobby? Because I, I wanted to be there for my kids. I, I, I didn't want my kids to be raised by nannies. I wanted to be there to raise my kids and, 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 and you know, pick them up from school and talk to them about their day. And, you know, so that was always something that was very important to me. And I always try not to lose sight of that, even though I'm so busy and now I'm traveling. Unfortunately, not always to pick up my kids from school and be there, but it makes me more present when I am home. Um, my kids definitely feel it now that I'm traveling a lot. And, um, you know, I I, I, I I talk to them about it and speak on the phone when I'm not I'm not um, I'm not home. And, you know, technology is amazing. You could you could FaceTime, Skype, you know, you could do all that. So um, plus, it's not a long term thing. I mean, things right, will exactly. quiet down a little bit until you, you know, come up with your next <laughs> project. <laughs> right. But also, like, I, I'm not away for days at a time. And I definitely don't take like go travel out of um, out of town or not within once a week or one or two weeks. And I obviously work around my kids schedule if they have vacation or there's a holiday or anything like that. Definitely, I make sure that I'm available and around. Right. So, An- another challenging one, Hani, and let's see if we have what, what would you say to this one is uh, for a person like, well, I find it challenging and, and you're even probably a lot, lot more active on social media than I am. And it's part, you know, it is vital to your brand. That can be really challenging because it can be so tempting to, it could be so hard not to unplug from that, you know? Yes, for sure. Do you, how do you um, manage yeah. that? Do you have like boundaries that you set on your up, you know, for yourself? Do you have somebody who takes care of it? <laughs> so okay, so that th- this is something that I definitely struggle with a lot. I feel like if you have somebody else, um, when when people message you on social media and they feel like they're talking to you, right? And if you have someone else answering, I just feel like that's uh-huh. not really authentic, and you know what I mean? It's not right? real, and it's just part of it's part of the pack, it's part of building a brand, being available, and and uh, interact, and and I also enjoy it. Um, it does it does get a, be a lot sometimes times um you know obviously my family comes first and that's also something that i uh, a commitment that i made to myself was like when instagram stories came out are you familiar with instagram stories i are am but i am a very hesitant instagram stories person because i i i i i'm a, i have an addictive type of personality so okay. i know when i like something i go all in and i right. i feel like it's going to take over my life so i'm very right. shy on social media because i aside from the fact that i'm an extreme introvert and a very private person i just whatever i struggle with this very much with being plugged all the time and my children seeing me being plugged right I hear that so for me it's not really a choice part you have to be active social media right. if you're a blogger and um, definitely is also definitely contributed a lot to my success that's how you build hype on the, about the book and every time somebody makes recipes I share photos and you know it just makes people want to be part of it and not only that like just people watching the whole journey writing a book because I would hear everything on, on social media mm. made them feel like they were part of the story and like mm-hmm. you know like getting the book and actually recognizing things in different photos and the story of how the whole thing evolved people felt like it was more than just when you go to the store and buy a cookbook and and that you know that shows the power of social media on how the whole industry has evolved today you yes. know so um so, so you like, were saying like, when instagram yeah. stories came out yeah so you know right when it came out like everyone was like felt like they had to like you know what are we what are we going to cook today what's on the agenda today everyone's watching me so i need to go cook dinner for them but then i very quickly realized that i am not i can't live my life for instagram i have to let instagram be a reflection of my life instead of my life being a reflectogram. Yes. That means like if my kids are eating fish sticks for dinner, then I'm going to post that my kids are eating fish for dinner. And first of all, that just makes people feel good because I'm human like everybody else. Mm-hmm. And you know, the, I can't always make, yes, I usually make dinner, but it, sometimes that does happen. Sometimes they're eating frozen pizza and that just makes me human. And um, I think, you know, people relate to that more and, and, and want to follow someone that's being authentic. It's not um, a gourmet and, dinner every night, guys. Right, <laughs> this is what right? I'm saying. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> yes, and just, you know, knowing that if today worked for me that I'm going to story today because that's what worked, I could work it into, you know, whatever I'm doing, then that's what's going to be. And if it's not going to work today because I'm not feeling it because I'm having a hard day because I'm having meetings and I'm not posting, whatever it is, like, that's fine. It's the way it is. And that was such a big fear of mine. Like, writing my book, how am I, how am I going to keep up my followers? I'm not posting everything on, on, on the story because I'm going to be so busy. Everything was fine and it all worked out. And, you know, it's mm. just, I think that you have, you have, yes, you have to consciously not let it take over your life. And it is a conscious decision yes. because it could easily do that. Now Instagram has a function where you can actually see how much time you're spending on Instagram every day. Um, the number can very frightening sometimes. So it allows you to set limits and it will give you an alarm and say that your time is up. So that's a really great thing. And there's also a lot of apps that would nowadays anyway. Um, so yes, I definitely need to consciously set boundaries for myself because it totally, it could take over your life. I want to mention something that we haven't um, stated here, but I think it's, it's worth mentioning and it is the role of your husband as a support I think from what I gather from following your blog and you know the behind the scenes yeah. a little bit what you mentioned earlier how he encouraged you as a very supportive partner in throughout this whole journey yeah um, for sure my husband always um, supported me giving me the confidence and telling me you can do this and believing in me and that's definitely something that you know has made me be able to do what I do um, of course he's he's a, a very deep on his own right mm -hmm. so um, we kind of you know doing doing our own thing but um, at the same time you know helping each other I think it's it's very very important and um, maybe we don't acknowledge how much they help us in our little adventures <laughs> enough <laughs> yes yes for sure I definitely now being on book tour he made himself more available because I feel like he like I mentioned he's very busy and uh, you know oftentimes not able to be home at night and things like that but um, because I'm on book tour I, I do feel like it's important to have you know one of us home around and available so he's definitely made himself more available um, to so that you know one of us is here for our kids which is right. important Right. So, right, right. yeah, I'm definitely very grateful for that. Honey, as an observant Jewish woman, you have what I call, we have a toolkit at our finger. We really have access to so many wonderful tools to be present and to kind of stay, stay sane in this crazy world and in a very busy, the, the busy lives that we all lead. What would you say are one of, is one of your favorite things or a thing that you really lean on that helps you still gr stay grounded and sane and present? As far as Judaism, what do I mean? Yeah, as? yeah, I, yeah, I, something Jewish, obviously, that you utilize that you really think it's pivotal and important for you that you couldn't do without. <laughs> Um, that's a good question. I mean, I think I think just the fact that I'm religious and like live my life according to the Torah and Torah values and Shabbos. First of all, Shabbos, I always say I never appreciated Shabbos the way I appreciate it now. Just being forced to disconnect. Mm -hmm. We have to disconnect. It's not a choice. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know what I would do if I didn't have that, you know. Yeah, I'm with um, you. So that really like helps so much. And to be able to be present with my kids on, on another level and just talk to them and spend time playing games together and family time is so important. And the holiday, all that. That, like has meaning to me more than ever before. Oh, I want to come to your house for the holidays. <laughs> <laughs> I want to try your menu. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm always very open about it. But if you're ever in my hood, you can for sure reach out. Um, I get so, so I, I get so bored of my own food. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I, I we all do. New. Oh, you do too. Good. I'm of glad. course. <laughs> I'm like, I cannot make any for my book. I cook so many times. Oh, that's it's, like, funny. I can't even look at it. Even though my kids sometimes request things, they like uh, the recipes, but I'm like, I just can't. Um, so yeah, I would say, um, you know, Shabbos and Yantif, so, so important to me. Yeah, um, they're really vital.
vital. They're really vital. Honey, you told me you're more into savory. So tell us what's like your favorite food, like all time, if you were in a deserted island and you had to eat one thing and ask God to send you one thing, what would that be? Does that have to be one Oh, no, it could be a dish. Yeah. What's your thing that you're into? I love sriracha. It's my favorite thing. Oh, yeah. For the ingredient. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You sound like Um, my son, my 13 year old boy. (laughs) Yes, I just I love it. Um, And I love runny egg. Really? Yes. (laughs) With sriracha smeared on it? (laughs) Yes, yes. Absolutely. Um, And I love bread, off bread. Really? Yeah. I love, yeah. You break your own challah? Not every week. No? Mm. No. So see, I'm very particular about my challah. Like, I'm a real challah snob. (laughs) I don't love the kitchen. you have to try my recipe. You have to. I know. I'm like, I really have to try a lot of these recipes, honey. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I um, literally just got a message last night from someone that's doing a challah bake and um, told me that her her mother's been cooking the same recipe for years and years and years and they got her to try mine and never going back. It's it's the best challah they ever had. Mm. I got that message from a lot of you. Have to try it. Oh, okay. I'm going to try it. <laughs> I'm up for it. I'm up for it. All right. Okay. Honey, we've talked about how this began as a, as a quote unquote, a hobby quickly turned into a business. But the most important thing that I see through it all is that perhaps unintentionally, you've, you've really spread the light of Judaism. You've really brought the beauty, the joy, the relevance of Jewish observance and Jewish practice, Jewish life to the forefront of many people. So I'm curious if you can share with listeners what that's been like, maybe even feedback that you've gotten for people over the years that's made you realize like, wow, this is really much bigger than maybe what I thought it was going to be. It's definitely not it's a lot it has a life that is much bigger than a hobby or a business i'm onto something special and meaningful yeah so that's definitely been something that i didn't expect um and I never went into it, um, you know, thinking that this was going to happen. For me, it was really about sharing what I love, sharing about, you know, how we could take our food to the next level and things like that. I think, I think it was just like a natural byproduct of just kind of being myself, being authentic, mm. being um, a Jewish religious from mother who kind of built this platform for herself. And like, you know, people take things away from that and just from watching um, watching my life. Um, and it's not something that like I consciously think about. It's just really mean living my life authentically and um you know sometimes i discuss things that happen and and how i you know how i work through different things in life but more or less i really like things very light and keep things very you know focus on my brand which is food related but obviously that's all intertwined with our culture and our so many you know beautiful jewish traditions and holidays kosher so it all becomes one a big uh you know uh, a part of one big picture hmm. and um i just think people you know everyone has different parts of it that they relate to personally and you know they're the takeaways that they get from um from watching my journey but you know it's really been so surreal like meeting people all over the world you know due to instagram stories and you know me putting my life out there and my face out there i get recognized you know so many different places and it just always like well first firstly i'm like like how do they you know it it always feels so surreal and mm-hmm. um but but you know they introduce me to their kids and and, and their husbands oh you know this that I make it's from her or whatever it is and 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 their kids know me and they watch me and and it's just like it makes me feel like we're one big family um and and I think that's so special and it also obviously makes me realize it's always like an eye-opener like you know wow people are are really watching me and 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 you know it's kind of a a sense of responsibility um that I didn't even know was there so um 
it, it is very, very, it's, it's a great thing. It's a great thing just, you know, the rabbi spoke about technology, right? Mm-hmm. Back in the day when we didn't have any of this, right? About embracing technology and, and what you can do with it. And this is just like a whole nother level um, of, you know, just reaching people. And um, yeah, Absolutely. I think it's Absolutely. And you're doing such a beautiful special. job. It's really very special. And, and, and listen, even before you were doing Instagram stories, I mean, just the fact that you were on TV doing your recipes and just with your beautiful personality and put together on the gorgeous recipes. I mean, it's like it has such a reach that we probably don't even know, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that that's the great thing about about Instagram is that right. you reach people so, you know, in, in in all different countries all over the world and and and, and they message you and right. and they they reach out to you and they tell you their personal, you know, their personal life stories and struggles and, you know, and it, you could really have the ability to t- touch people in so many different ways um and help people. So, an ama- amazing. And along the same lines, you are we were saying how in in so many ways now you are like a role model, you're a person <coughs> people look up to, they look at how you're doing things that you're life they're inspired by you could you share with us a jewish woman in your life who has been inspirational to you who has been a role model to you um somebody that you really you know hold dear look up to have memories so that would have definitely have to be my mother mm-hmm. um uh many people know that my, my brother ari halverson was killed on the brooklyn bridge in 1994 um oh, yes yeah that was uh just about it's or it's gonna be 25 years this year and um how you know how just, how old were you, honey, when that you were a teenager? I was 13 years old. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, my brother Ari was 16. And that's just like, that's who I am. That's part of my story. That's part of what makes me who I am. And mm-hmm. just growing up with um, a mother who, you know, just she fought against all odds in every which way of life and showed me how nothing can stand in your way. If you really, really, you know, have something that believe in that you believe in that you have, you know, that you're passionate about. My mother wrote the first laws on terrorism in, in the United States that was signed into law right before 9-11 to come and uh, Wait, the for first terrorism. laws on terrorism. Yeah, yes. Okay, give, she, give a little context to listeners who might not know about Ari's star, story and the incident that happened in the bridge. So, so in 1994, the Lubavitcher Rebbe was having cataract surgery um, in a, a hospital in Manhattan and a lot of people went um, down to pray and, you know, say to him while the rebel was in a hospital. My brother is a 16-year-old bakar, so he goes also to go. And um, basically, uh, several days prior, there was a, a massacre in Hebron where a settler um, shot up a mosque. And they were calling for retaliation all over the Arab world. And, um, and a Lebanese-born um Arab here in, in New York decided that he was, you know, in his mosque, they were calling for retaliation and he decided he was going to assassinate the Rebbe. So he actually filled his car with machine guns, sat outside the hospital waiting for the Rebbe to leave the hospital. When the Rebbe left, followed the Rebbe's car, but then the Rebbe went into the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel they, and they closed off the tunnel so nobody could follow the Rebbe's entourage. So he made a U-turn onto the Brooklyn Bridge where he saw a van filled with boys with boys, black hats. Right. Yeah. And he basically shot up the van and my brother was shot in the head and he he died five days later um and you know obviously this is this is not something that we experienced in america unfortunately nowadays 25 years later terrorism is on everyone uh, you know radar uh, radar and it's something that we deal with unfortunately but this was you know prior to 9-11 and this wasn't something that we were dealing with um you know and at first they were just calling it an act of road rage and obviously this was so much more than just road rage this is not someone getting you know mad at someone cutting him off and pulling out machine guns 
cases. Mm-hmm. And um, my mother got the FBI to classify the case as an actual act of terrorism. Wow. And, yeah. So she really made it her life's mission and really opened um, up everyone's eyes to what terrorism is way before terrorism was was on the radar. Huh. And um, she trains in law enforcement now. And she she's just so, so active. And obviously, um, having a mother like that really um, just made me realize that, you know, if you you can you can accomplish anything in, the, in this life that we have. Um, and you just have to have your eye on the prize and what you want to do and, and you can make it happen. And it, it just, you know, it really was just a very amazing having such a strong role model um, just made me realize that really, you know, there's no there's no excuses um, in life like, oh, I, I you know, I, I have little, little kids, I have a family, I can't do this, I can't do that. You can do anything that you want to do right. if you have a strong enough passion for it. Um, and so, yeah, so that's what a, really what yeah. an incredible story. I, I really had no I mean, I knew about your brother. I did not know how pivotal your your mother's work had been. But what an incredible story of turning something dark into something positive for mankind for everybody else, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow, honey, thank you for sharing. That was beautiful. Let's do a little bit of JLP fill in the blanks. This is the part of the show where I'm going to give you an open ended sentence and you're just going to fill it with the first thing that comes. Okay, okay. Don't overthink it. Here we go. I'm Hani Applebaum and I feel most spiritual when when I light Shabbos candles. My favorite mitzvah or one that I connect with the most is favorite mitzvah. <laughs> can, we go, can we go back to candle lighting? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's funny because my name, I'm actually named after the Lubavitcher Rebbe's mother, whose name mm-hmm. was Hannah. Mm-hmm. And she said, he said of her that her name is the acronym of a woman, Chala, Nida, and Adlaka Saneh. So I always feel like maybe I have a special connection to those three mitzvahs mm. because my name is Hannah. Yeah, yeah. yeah so. My fondest, sweetest Jewish memory is... I think um, the Passover Seder, Pesach Seder. You mean here. growing up with your yeah. with your parents and your parents? Growing home? up, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. We Did always my mom my mom always invited um, Saint her a friend of hers um, from camp with her um, with her husband. They never had children, so they used to come and shower us with oh. presents. And uh, every year, I used, my parents let me put some wine in my four cups, so I always got a little tip. <laughs> and I would be like a little bit hungover by the end of at the end of the night on the sofa singing the song of of the you know all the different songs after it was, it was a good sweet memories very nice very nice did you grow up in Crown Heights honey yes nice. yes and that's where and you I live. still live here around the corner mm. from where I grew up wow beautiful so I guess you yes. you got to be close to your mother by the way we didn't talk about this but what does your mother think about all your new since she's like the traditional Ashkenazi cook and you have a whole new twist does she appreciate your recipes she does she doesn't cook them because she definitely likes her the traditional way and I love that you know we can go to her house and my kids can taste that because I'm not cooking that way mm-hmm. like I never make kugel and things like that um and she's very proud she's very very proud very nice something i wish i had learned about judaism is i don't don't know i mean speaking of what we were just saying like i don't know if it's judaism in particular but i I would say growing up in a small um in a small community Mm -hmm. i I was i was always scared to break away from the mold and kind of be myself i was Mm -hmm. always like i have to follow and i'm I'm a people pleaser and i follow the rules and i always like was very rigid about doing everything supposed to be done and was a little bit scared to just find my own voice which as an adult i have and i feel like i wish i 
would have, you know, done that more as, you know, a younger version of myself could see that it's okay to do that. And uh, it's important to do that. And, you know, so uh, I think, yeah. I'm so glad you mentioned that because, because it's a real, it's a real struggle for many of us. I mean, and you had to really overcome those fears and say, listen, I am going to go out there and be a lot more public and do something that's a little bit out of the mold. And uh, that sounds like you have to struggle a little bit to get to that point. Yeah, now, like, uh, you know, my, my oldest is 12. So I have, I have a teenager. Yes. Um, and, and I see how, you know, as a mother now, how important it is. And, and, you know, if my daughter wants to not be like everyone else, she is very unique and creative in her own way. And I have to be okay with that. And um, a part of me wants her to just be like everyone else. Why can't you? My husband always says, like, I right way and he does the better way. <laughs> <laughs> two different outlooks. And I was always like that. No, this is the way you have to do it the way everyone does. It. No, you know, like being yourself and being a unique individual is, is healthy and okay and important. And it will just make you, you know, find yourself and, and shine. Yep, so. yep. And, and give give to the world the best of you, which is what God wants from each and every one of us. When I give tzedakah, I like to give to? Uh, I love to give to a lot of different places. Um, I, I like to support the Friendship Circle. Um, they do amazing work. Yeah. And um, especially my local one here in Brooklyn, I um, like to support Maspia, who helps feed the needy. They have soup kitchen. Um, I like to give to um, Kal Chabad, um, mm. which is the Rabbi Meir Balhanes, which is a great school to give to, and they feed the, the poor and needy in Eretz Yisrael. Um, and of course, all the charity campaigns nowadays, there's like every day seems to be another one, but they're all really great causes. So um, things like that. Very nice. Finally, I'm Khani Applebaum, and today I'm most grateful for my family. Nice. Definitely. I mean, really, uh, you know, I, the re- starting my blog really just to give me an outlet so I could be a better mother. And I always say this to people because people apologize to me that, uh, uh, you know, that they're not a good cook or that they don't enjoy the kitchen. And I'm like, it's fine. You know, like I follow fashion bloggers. I, 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 I'm not interested in fashion and that's okay. You know, like everyone has their niche or maybe they don't, but they should find something that they enjoy that makes them happy. It just makes us better parents, better spouses, better versions of ourselves. I feel like every needs something. Everyone needs something um, just to help them feel more fulfilled. You know, especially raising children, we're always giving, 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 you know, even not even realizing that's what we are. We're givers, being mothers, being spouses. And you need to give yourself sometimes. You need to, you know, speaking of this whole thing is about food. We need to feed ourselves. We need to feed our soul. And it's something that we overlook sometimes, but it's so important. A hundred, a hundred percent. Hani Applebaum, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was so fun. I love learning from you. Everybody, the book is Millennial Kosher and it's available on Amazon. And of course, you can follow Hani at Busy in Brooklyn. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks to Hani Applebaum for stopping by. Isn't she great? I want to get my hands on that book because it sounds really awesome. And guess what? I will be buying it, but you can win it. Head over to my Instagram account to enter for a lovely and easy giveaway to win a copy of Hani's super acclaimed book, Millennial Kosher. Very easy to enter. Like the post, tag a friend, follow me, and follow Hani at Busy in Brooklyn. Just head over to Instagram and you'll find it all there at Jewish Latin Princess. I have fun on Instagram. The problem is that my life is so hectic and I really don't have time to be in there. And more importantly... Like I said before, I really don't like my kids to see me in there. So I'm probably not on Instagram as often as many of you would like me to be. I've heard that before. I know. If anybody has tips on this dilemma, let me know. In the meantime, 
the good news is that when I am in there, I try to be there with something fun and valuable for you. In this case, an awesome giveaway for a great book. Listen, if you have any women you'd like me to interview in 2019, well, you know where to find me. And if you enjoyed this episode and you've never left a rating, go ahead and do that, please. I'm getting the sweetest emails lately and I appreciate them so much. Because truth be told, it can get a little lonely behind this mic. So I appreciate all the feedback via email, via Instagram private message, and of course, the lovely iTunes reviews. I hope you're all having a great winter break. If you're traveling, enjoy your travels and be safe. And I'll be right here for you in 2019. Thanks for listening to Jewish Latin Princess Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes, leave a rating, and share the podcast with the Jewish women you love. To access today's show notes, ask Yael a question, or suggest a uniquely talented Jewish woman to be featured on the show, visit jewishlatinprincess.com.